Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Journey to the Pit. I'm Jim Collins and I'm your host this evening. If this is your first time joining us over here at Journey to the Pit, what we do over here is we interview game fowl breeders from all over the world, different farm sizes to bring unfiltered information to the game fowl community with hope that you'll be able to use some of this information, some of this experience from these game fowl breeders from all over the world and maybe add or adjust some of the things in your programs to help you reach your goal. Tonight we have an awesome guest coming on. Y'all guys have been knowing uh, we have been promoting this since Monday. And this special guest uh, is a very successful breeder in his own right. He's coming out of Kentucky and he agreed to come on the show to share some of his unfiltered information. Uh, I apologize tonight. We had some technical difficulties. We have some weather issues here uh, where I'm at, and uh, the Wi-Fi is not acting right. You know, it's really acting up. Got very low Wi-Fi signal, but uh, we just kept working in the background to make sure that we made this interview happen tonight. So please bear with us. Um, Again, if some of the frame freezes up or some of the audio freezes up, understand that we're dealing with weather issues here and Wi-Fi issues, but... But, but, like I say, I think this interview be well worth the uh, wait. Um, I see a lot of guys already checking in. Uh, what's up, Marcus? We got Theo in here. Oh, uh, Aloha from Hawaii. What's up, uh, Alex? We got Renegade in here checking in from Tennessee. Leonard, we got Nick. What's up, brothers? I'm glad y'all all checking in from all over the place. Uh, like I say, we're going to go ahead and get started because we started a little bit, probably about 30 minutes later than we usually start. Um, we got our special guest that's sitting on standby, and we're going to go ahead and bring him in. A lot of y'all guys know him. Some of y'all guys do not know him, but I can guarantee you the ones that know him know he's a, a very, very good breeder, a very good breeder. He's going to bring a lot of unconventional things that he has done uh, to be successful in his own right. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the keys uh, to – being a successful game fire breeders, you just cannot copy what somebody else is doing. You know, you just can't know the hows, but you also got to know the whys. And that's what Donnie has uh, talked about um, during his success. It's just not understanding how to do things, but why he's doing them. And I think that is the reason um, that he has been so successful. And one of the key things also, too, would have a conversation with him. He's a very, very open-minded uh, game file breeder. And he said that is one of the keys to success, uh, to keep your mind open and understanding that you can learn from anyone. Doesn't matter how old they are. Doesn't matter, you know, if they only been in game file for a few years. He said his ears is always open because, again, he just believes that you can learn from anybody. So bringing him on here tonight, I think uh, y'all guys will really, really enjoy it like y'all have done um, with all the other interviews. If y'all guys are watching over there uh, from YouTube, don't forget to click that subscribe button. Just click that little red subscribe button and click that bell notification so you can get notified when we do uh, post new videos and do interviews. If y'all guys are watching over there at Journey to the Pit fan page, make sure you hit that like button as well. Um, it looks like the vast majority of our uh, viewers tonight are watching from YouTube. We got a lot. We got a big following from YouTube tonight. Uh, we got Oregon checking in, Nebraska checking in, and we got somebody as far as Queensland checking in. That is way, way on the other part of the world. Um, what's up, Dustin? Uh, yeah, so like I say, uh, Mr. French, Devon, yeah, I'm glad y'all guys can hear us loud and clear. But guys, I'm not going to take up no more of the time. Let me go ahead and bring our special guests in tonight. Uh, please post questions in the comments if you have questions. I cannot guarantee that we'll get to all those questions because these interviews do run pretty long on its own. 
Um, but what it would allow us to do, it allow our special guests to go into the comment section after the show or maybe tomorrow or as soon as he gets time to address some of those questions. Um, we are doing uh, Donnie French. I don't think is on. I don't know if he's on YouTube or not, but I know he's on Facebook. So if you want to reach out to him, y'all guys can reach out to him uh, on Facebook through Messenger or whatever type of way you want to. Or you can just post the comments in the bottom of this interview. So let me go ahead and bring uh, our special guest on tonight. And uh, let's get this show rocking and rolling. So welcome, 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 Mr. Donnie French, to another episode of Journey to the Pit. I first want to thank you for coming on this evening. So how are you doing? Thank you, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm doing good, you know, living the dream, I guess you could say. I guess that is totally totally right so listen uh i had gave a long spill before you came on um they know that we're kind of starting behind the eight ball because we had some issues with the uh wi-fi and it's on my end it's definitely not on donnie's end. it's on my end i know i only have two bars out of four on my router so even plugging straight into the router i'm still not getting any better signal um but donnie give me one second man because it looks like you're froze up on my end Okay. Guys, let me know. Let me know how the video looks on my end. It looks like Donnie's froze up. But listen, let's go ahead and get this disclaimer out there. All the information discussed in this interview is for historical, educational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this information is intended for any legal purposes, and all opinions are respected of the individual. So we're going to go ahead and get this interview started. Uh, yes, he is frozen. So it looks like... Uh, Donnie, it looks like you are frozen uh, on, and it could be my end since I'm hosting the software. So let me just see, guys, for one second. Bear with us, bear with us, bear with us. Um, because, again, guys, I'm having uh, Wi-Fi issues on my end, but I, I need to have this interview. This is an extremely, extremely good interview, and we need to make this happen. So if y'all guys hang around with us, just hold on. And let us kind of work this out. Donnie, I'm going to pull you from the screen and then add okay. you back to the screen and see if that will uh, see if that will unfreeze the uh, video. If not, you're going to have to click out and come back in again. So let's just okay. see what happens. All righty, guys, I just removed him. Let me go ahead and bring him back in and see if this will unfreeze the video. If it does not unfreeze the video, then uh, Donnie's going to click out and then he's going to rejoin it and we'll bring it right on back in and we'll get this video uh, started. His audio was great, uh, but the screen is frozen. So let's bring him back in, see what happened. Yeah. So, Donnie, uh, can you see me? Because as of right now, I, we I, cannot see you. I can see you. Can you see yourself? No. Right. So click out. Just go ahead and click out and come on back in. Okay. Because that's the only way I can think that we can kind of get this thing rolling. <laughs> Dakota said you're going to get. <laughs> what do you say? Dak <laughs> what do you say, Dakota? He's going to get prettier with time, huh? <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Matthew McKenzie. Yes, I know we can hear him, but we definitely want to see him. But guys, just just bear with us. Hey, if you got something else to do, I understand. Uh, but just bear with us. We're going to uh, make sure that we bring him uh, back on. 
we've been having technical difficulties and it's been on my end because my Wi-Fi tonight with the bad storms that we've been having is still raining. It's been raining for like three days now. It's a lot of down trees. So, um, you know, I've been having some issues on my end, but you know, that's the, that's the bad part about, uh, doing live interviews because, you know, you have all these issues, which everybody has these issues now. Every even big multi-billion dollar news networks, they have issues too. But uh, again, a lot of that stuff is pre-recorded, and that's why they pre-record it. So this way, when they do have issues, everything can get worked out. They just put up the pre-recorded uh, video, and boom, it's in there. But uh, I like the live. I like the live, you know, because we get to ask questions and comments at the time of the interview. And uh, I think it works out better. Donnie, hey, so me, can we hear you? That's right. We good. We good. We good. So, guys, we are good now. Right. We got our special guest on, Donnie French, tonight out of Kentucky. Let's go ahead and get this thing rock and rolling. So, Donnie, what I basically do, uh, and I know you have seen some of the other interviews, but I like to always start out with asking a special guest to tell us a little bit about their self and how they got into the game for the individuals out there who's watching who don't know you. So how did you get started in Game Foul? Well, Jim, uh, I got started in game foul when I was seven. I'm a second-generation talker. Okay. My dad had game foul, and he got rid of them for a little while for some reasons that, you know, he had a family, had a family to support. And right. uh, as I grew up, you know, he always talked about them, but I'd never seen them. Right. And uh, so – you know, one weekend, you know, he just told me, you know, he said, come on, we're going to go somewhere. I said, okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, make a long story short, he took me to a fight back in the days that it was legal. Right. And, uh, I know that was decades ago, what you're talking about. Yes, that was, was, that was a long, long time ago. Yeah, right, I was right. That was back in 79. Right. And, uh. Just as soon as I seen two roosters playing, it was over. You know, I was hooked from there. Right. So that's kind of how it all started out. That's that's kind of how it all started with me. You know. Right. Uh, I I just I never could get them out of my mind. You know, I think the first words out of my mouth, I looked up at my father and I said, "When can we get some?" <laughs> You know, so that, that's kind of how it started for me. That's how it started. So, so Donnie, tell me this. Uh, with that being said, you know, you just started out. You didn't have your, your father didn't have many game foul. You know, at that time, what bloodlines did y'all guys have or what bloodlines did y'all guys go out and acquire? You know, when you said, can we get, get some? What bloodlines did y'all guys go out there and, and acquire? Uh, well, the lines we started out with was the old out now Kelso from Mr. Jumper mm -hmm. and his Doc Robinson hats. Okay. Uh, I was real fortunate in that sense that my father knew Mr. Jumper. Mm -hmm. He knew a lot of great chicken men like Mr. Neal. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't real hard for, uh, I guess, to acquire a good foul, you know, right. for us. Anyway, you know, I know it was hard back then because there's not a lot of uh, cockers that had the good foul 
mm-hmm. wanted to let them go. So, you know, in that sense of the the game, you know, I was real fortunate, you know, that right. I had people that I could go to and get good foul when I needed them. Right. So, so back then, those are pretty much the bloodlines. So, what bloodlines did you have back then? Well, we had the we had the old out and out Kelsos. They were dark wine roosters, straight cone, white legged. Okay. Uh, the old Doc Robinson Hatch roosters. Okay. Uh, we had the old Cecil Davis Kelsos, which I still have to today. Wow, you um, still have those to today, huh? I still have those on the yard. Well, that, that's actually great to hear because we're going to talk about that. That's going to be later on in an interview. We'll talk about how you maintain those lines. But so go ahead, Donnie. I'm sorry. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it was just it was a real privilege knowing, you know, all the great rooster men that I've known mm-hmm. and uh, trying to live up to their expectations. You know, right. So, but, uh, so Donnie, let's go ahead and talk about because it looks like the camera's freezing up again. But we're going to continue this conversation. It'll be almost like a visual podcast. <laughs> I don't know if you know what a pod, but like <laughs> podcast is all voice. <laughs> but it's going to be like a visual podcast because we're not starting this thing. Uh, we, I don't really want to start it all over again, which we can. But it's freezing up again, guys. I apologize, but it ain't nothing we can do about it. Donnie, can you hear me loud and clear? Yes. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and continue. Your picture's up here, so you're just frozen in motion, but still, your picture's up here, and everybody can hear your voice loud and clear. So let's go ahead and continue this conversation. So tell me this, Donnie. You have that one bloodline today. Is that the only bloodline that you have today that you had back then when you was a child? Yes, that's that's the only one that I held on to mm-hmm. from back then. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not easy, you know, keeping a family, you know, right. uh, the way you have to breed and selection and all that. You know, it's really easy to it's really easy to lose them. Right. You know, if you don't select right, if you don't breed right. Mm-hmm. But but uh, luckily enough, you know, I've, I've been able to hold on to them. And, you know, they look just as good today as they did back then. And, and now that you said that is actually going to kind of lead me into my next topic. And I think which is, again, just to reiterate what you just said it's very easy to lose them but it's a lot more difficult to maintain the lines and they look just as good as today as they did back then why don't you share with us you know um before we even get into your breathing methods because you said they look just as good as today as they did back then let's Mm -hmm. just talk a little bit about you know uh how do you select your brood cocks how do you select your brood hens and then we'll talk about how you breed them. But what 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 do you look for in your brood cocks? Say from, from that bloodline, since that's one of the only bloodlines that you had since you was a child to the day. What do you look for in a brood cock with that bloodline? Well, back back you know when the when the sport was legal, mm-hmm. uh, I based it all off performance. Okay. And 
if they didn't perform, they just didn't last here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, you know, point blank, that's just how it was. If they didn't perform, I didn't want them. Right. Uh, it really didn't have, it re- I mean, I tried to pick the nicest rooster I could pick with the body that I wanted, mm-hmm. you know, a wide back, good right. leg under him, the way he right. stands, the way he carries himself. Right. I always tried to pick a rooster, you know, that had all those qualities that I wanted. Right. But it all really came down to me. If they didn't perform, then I didn't want them. Exactly. So, I mean, that that's some great information because, like you say, you try to pick them, you know, based on, I would say, confirmation. I don't know if that's fair to say but based on the looks and confirmation of the bird, but you kind of found out that sometimes the best looking roosters are not the best performing roosters. Would you agree or? I I totally agree with that. You know, some of the roosters on my yard today uh, are, are a lot of people probably wouldn't have them, you know, you know, as a broodcock, I'm saying, uh, because, you know, they, they don't have a lot of the playing that today these roosters have you know they don't have the white streamers they don't have this or they don't have that right you know uh a lot of people today i feel like are are picking broodcocks for the wrong reasons mm. you know and uh they so sh- a lot sh- of people sh- no i was going to say don and i think you was going ahead to lead into it i was going to say go ahead and share some of that stuff with us your thoughts on that well you know, it, first or foremost, you know, in game foul, if they don't perform, uh, you're just beating yourself in the head over nothing. You know, they have to perform. You know, and I know it. You know, you can't do that today, but I'm I'm talking. You know, back in the day when it was legal. You know, right. there were so many people that I seen. You know, that would pick a broodcock because he had a a big 25-inch tail and be, had big long streamers and, and had two big white streamers coming out. And, and you know, and and back then, you know, that rooster, you know, couldn't whoop 10 of his brothers. Couldn't whoop any <laughs> right. of them. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, I basically, you know, I mean, that's how I done it back then. You know, I try to do it the best I can nowadays, you know, by, by picking right. a fowl that, that, that has the look that they had back in 40 years ago. But right. that's basically how I do it. And, and the hens, you know, for the hens, you know, I like a real pretty hen, you know, and I like a okay. hen that, I like a hen that, uh, that, that, uh, she's not afraid of anything. I don't. I don't like a yelling hen. I don't like a hen that that flies all over the pen. You know, I like a calm hen, but I, I like a hen that has a confidence about her, and and she walks that way too. You know, when you find one of them hens that have a confidence to them, they'll walk that way. You know, right. you'll see it in them. You just have to pay attention to your fowl. You know, so many people nowadays don't pay attention to the fowl. Right. You know, they just go out here and say, well, I want to breed that one to this one. And let's, you know, well, 
you know, it takes me, it takes me a long time to figure out what I'm going to breed every year, you know, and, and I know I, I drive my wife crazy at times, you know, cause I'll, I get that, what they call that, that hundred yard stare, you know, right. I'll just be sitting at the kitchen table or something. I'll have that hundred yard stare and she knows right. better than to ask the question what I'm thinking about now, you right. know, that, that we've been together for so long because she knows that answer. You know, I'm always right. thinking about chickens. Always. Right. You know, but it, you know, what, what, uh, what's easy for some people to, to put their brood pens together. It takes me a long time before I, before I put my brood pens together because I have to think about it for a long time. Mm -hmm. I have so, to watch so myself for a long time. That, that's what I was going to ask you. So basically, the thing that takes you the longest is, you know, you're really observing your hens. You're observing your broodcocks. You're not just looking for confirmation aspects. You're looking for attitude, body movement, you know, also confirmation as well. But is those some of the things that you're looking for when you're kind of doing that observation over the yard on what you're going to pick as far as broodstock? Uh, well, I'll tell you how I do it nowadays. Okay. Uh, you know, if a rooster has everything, you know, he has the confirmation that I want, you know, the wide back, the leg under him that I want under him. He stands the way I want him to stand. He holds his tail the way I want him to hold his tail. He has to have the attitude to go along with it. Okay. You know, he, you know, I love a rooster that. That every day you go out and feed him, he drops his wing and, and comes up to you and talks to you. And he's just in a good mood every day. Right. You know, when you find that rooster, you better breed that rooster. Because he's got a good mental attitude. And that's one thing Mr. Jumper always taught me. A rooster with a good mental attitude will outperform any other rooster that you can find, I don't care what he looks like. Right. So the, the, the mental state of the bird is extremely important. Not just talking about other the, the, the athleticism or the body structure and all that kind of stuff. If they don't have the right attitude, if they don't have the right, uh, like you say, the mental attitude about them, Mr. Jumper is saying that, you know, they're not going to perform like one that may not look as good, but has an awesome attitude about them. That, that that is correct that's correct i mean and you know uh point in case you know take the old radio cock you know the the rooster that mr jumper made the radio line from uh he was an, as ugly a, of a cock as you could possibly think of right you know he was a short cock you know he had a he had a head on him as big as your fist I mean, wow. he just wasn't very eye. He he wasn't just he, he wasn't very eye, eye appealing at all. Right. But he had a great mental attitude, and and that that's one thing that that I've learned over the years. A rooster with a good mental attitude mm -hmm. will always outdo one that has, you know, that that say you know is wild in a pen or bites on you right. or or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, his mental attitude to me means a whole lot. 
It means a whole lot. And that is that makes a lot. And, and that is something also you apply when it comes to picking your hens is also that same mental attitude. Correct. But just on the feminine correct. side, not as as but, a male side, but on yes. the feminine side. Yes. The same the same thing applies to the hen as the rooster, just on the feminine side of things. Right. Right. So so Donnie, from so from what I'm hearing, that's going to be that's always point number one. You know, point number one or oh, oh, characteristic, put it there. I'm sorry. So characteristic number one in your selection process is they have to pass the mental attitude test. If they don't pass the mental attitude test, you don't look no further than that. Is that correct? That is correct. Got you. And then so, and so then they have to have the body. You know, like I say, they have to have what I'm looking for. You know, they have to hold their tail right. They have to stand up over their legs. I like a rooster that stands up over his legs. I don't, uh, I don't know how to explain that to you. Uh, I mean, you know, his body is perfectly straight up over his legs when he stands. Okay. okay. You know, so kind of like midsection, not far back or, or far up. He's kind of like in the middle of his body, right, basically right. what you're saying, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yes. The way he carries himself, you know, and if he's made right and has that and has that good mental attitude, mm -hmm. he's a brute god. Got you. So so Donnie, what I want to do is I want to talk just a little bit more in detail. Um about your broodcock. So this way guys out there can kind of maybe walk in their yard and maybe try to put together what they're hearing tonight with what they're seeing tomorrow morning in a yard. So we're looking at mm -hmm. one of your broodcocks. Okay, we're assuming that he passed the mental attitude test. So if I'm looking at this broodcock on your yard in your brood pen, I should be looking at a broodcock where his legs pretty much sit in the center of his body, right? His right. back, you said you like a wide back. So basically, if you put your, is it, is it like a football-shaped body, or do you lay your hand in between his wings on the back, and does does it need to be four fingers wide or five, you know, just, just guesstimating? I don't know if, you, if it's that detailed, but I'm just trying to get as much detail as possible for the viewers out there. Well, you know, Jim, that's a personal preference, really. You know, okay. I, I've got fowl in the yard that that's not very wide backed at all. Okay. You know. Okay. And of course, they they were made for different things. Okay. Uh, but the game I grew up in, you know, mm -hmm. we loved the wide backs because it meant power. You got know. you. Uh, if if you can, if you know, my hand's pretty big, but <laughs> right. uh, you know, if I. If I can put my hand on his back and, and his back is, is four fingers wide, you know, right. I'm good with him, you know. Okay, I got you. Know, you. And, I, and like I say, I have I have fell on my yard that, that I can't do that with, you know, mm -hmm. because they were just made for something else. Something else. Got but you. Totally understand. You, you adjust. You, you, yeah, you adjust to the type of foul that you're dealing with. Got you. Totally understand. Okay, so we got that. So tell me this: when you say his tail set in the right way, you know, is it is it like, you know, a forty five degree angle? You know, uh, is it, is it squirrel tail? Because I had one guy say he loved his squirrel tails. You know, they done very well for him. And I know a lot of guys say they hate squirrel tails, but you know, when we talk about tail placement, can you give us kind of idea of where his tail kind of place 
Is it more so towards his back of his head? If it's, you know, more towards leaning backwards? Well, you know, I'm going to go against the grain here, Jim. You know, and, and a lot of people probably ain't going to like this. You know, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, as far as my, uh, as far as my broodcocks, you know, I love the squirrel tailed rooster. I just okay. do, you okay. know, that's a personal preference. Mm -hmm. You know, when I'm picking my broodcock, you, I won't pick a squirrel tail rooster. You know, mm -hmm. it'll be a little bit back from squirrel tail. Right. But, you know, if if we're talking about squirrel tail roosters, I love them. You know, right. I gotcha. just, you know, it's that's just a personal preference of mine. Mm -hmm. You know, and I could, mm -hmm. I, you know, back in the day, you know, when it was legal, mm -hmm. you know, I noticed that squirrel tail roosters fall a little better than mm. the others. You know, I mean, I don't know if there's any truth to that. It's just what what I perceive, you know. Right, right. But, you know, if if that if that tail can almost come up and touch his head, you know, hey, I'm all for it. Gotcha. You know, I mean, that's you're just personal preference, though. Right, but you're yeah. not the only one. Like I say, we had somebody else who said, he, you know, his squirrel tails were some of the best best birds he have ever had. So he loves squirrel tails. Um, yeah. I have seen some beautiful roosters that squirrel tails. So, you know, again, and that's the whole key. You know, we wanted to know what Donnie likes. And, and you said you love squirrel tails. Now, you said you don't really pretty much pick them as a broodcock. But the broodcock is pretty much producing squirrel tails. Is that correct? Some will and some won't. You know, okay. it, I don't. I don't really. Uh, I don't really breed for them. You right. know, the ones I get, I get. Right. You know, the ones I. You know, if it happens, it happens. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really breed for that. But if it happens, mm -hmm. it happens. Got you. You know. Got you. Got you. I so, don't. I don't. Put it this way, I, I don't call them for that reason. Got you. That that was going, I, we was I, going to talk I don't, about calling later on in the show, but I'm glad you said that. So you don't call them because they got a squirrel tail? No, sir. Got you. No, they, they stay on the yard, you know. Uh, like I say, if it happens, it happens. And, you know, if it doesn't, it doesn't. But like I said before, you know, back years ago, I bred for performance, you right. know. But, you know, I know we can't do that nowadays, but, right. you know, we, we can just do the best we can do. Right. So, Donnie, tell me this then. Uh, again, so we can just touch on a few more topics on, on a confirmation that you're looking for. With the squirrel tails, like you say, they, if they come, they come. If they don't, they don't. But having a, 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 a squirrel tail rooster on your yard is not a reason that you will call. Um, you have seen a lot of squirrel tail roosters over the years back in the day that was very good performers. So they made you a believer that squirrel tail is not, not a flaw <laughs> when it comes to performance. Squirrel tail in your eye has been uh, has been able to perform. So yeah. let's talk about other aspects I want to talk about um, and then we can move on to the next thing uh, as far as wing size. A lot of guys talk about different wing size some guys like birds with big wings some guys don't like birds with big wings do you have a preference on that or you don't really have a preference on as far as the wing size of a bird 
Well, you know, there you go again. You know, it, it just depends on, on the type of fowl that you're talking about. You know, in like in my hatch, uh, you know, if I have a family hatch, you know, I, I like a big, long wing on them. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a lot of power from their wings, they get a lot of power from their back, you know, but I like that long wing wing length in a hatch rooster. You know, uh, when you're talking about sweaters, you know, not so right. much, you know, not so of much. Course, okay. You know, if you're talking, if you're talking about sweaters, they're not going to produce those long wings anyway. Okay. You know, it just, it really just depends on the type of fowl that, mm-hmm. that I'm breeding as to what I prefer. Right. I do prefer a long wing though, you know, over the short wings. Got you. So last part, as far as the confirmation of the bird head size, you talked about how Mr. Jumper had that radio with that big old head. Uh, I know we had one special guest on that he talked about when he first started out. Some of the birds he started with, they used to call them mule heads because they they, 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 they were really good birds. He was like, they had big old mule heads on them. Just, you ain't been talking to Jimmy Bratcher, have you? <laughs> <laughs> that might have been that. I'm not saying that, but he, he, he talked about it on the show. But yeah, I think that was Jimmy. <laughs> he talked that big old mule. <laughs> he said, that "Yeah, that was years ago, old. though. That was years ago." <laughs> yeah, he said that was years ago. That was too funny, though, man. He said he had big old mule heads on. Him. Um, yeah, I think he's. I think he's but, got that under control now, though. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me this. So we got, as far as you on the heads, you know, you're not really breeding for heads, but is there any particular size head that you like, you prefer more than others? I I personally like a small head. You know, the okay. smaller, the better. The smaller I can get a head, the better. Uh, okay. That's, that's just my personal preference. You know, I know I, right. I know some guys that like, that like big-headed roosters, you know. Mule heads. But <laughs> mule heads, yeah. I, I've seen guys that, that love big-headed roosters, you know. Right. Uh, me, personally, I like a little head on them. I think it just looks looks so much neater on a rooster, you know, than to have a big old, I call them chuckleheads, you know, Chuck. on him. But, <laughs> but I, I, do, I do prefer a small-headed rooster. I just think they they just look so much nicer to me. Right. And it, it right. and it doesn't mean that they're better. You know, right. it, you know that that's just a personal preference thing. Got you. Uh before we move along um to the next topic, um let's let's just do a recap so guys understand kind of what you look for. First of all, the number one characteristic to determine anything on your yard as a brood fowl, hen or cock is going to be the mental attitude. You said that's number 1. Um, first and foremost, yes. First and foremost is number one is that, that is the mental attitude. Um, you'll take that mental attitude over any other quality with a rooster. You don't care about back sizes, wing size, anything like that. If they don't have the right mental attitude, then none of that stuff matters. But if they do have that attitude that you're looking for, and a cock, more of an alpha, you know, with a with a hen, she's a lot more feminine. But you know, in your brood cock, you said you like. 
you know, big wings. If it's kind of like on a hatch roost, you go with a bigger wing. Sweaters, you know, is not going to have such a big wing. You kind of like a wide back, but not all your roosters are wide backs. But kind of the, 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 the job that you came up with, you know, you like the rooster with a wide back because of it was a characteristic for power. The same thing with the wings. Um, you like your broodcock kind of with a smaller head. You like his leg placement to be in the center of his body. Um, and you okay with squirrel tails. You don't breed for squirrel tails, but you will not call something just because it's squirrel tails. So that's kind of that's kind of overall of what you talked about, uh, what you take in consideration when you, when it comes to a broodcock. Did that sound correct? Yeah, it sounds about right, Jim. Okay. Sure does. So let's just go a quick little recap on your hens. Um, you definitely, number one, first and foremost, is the mental attitude. You like the hens to walk around with confidence. You also like them to have that that well body structure, you know, legs in the center of their body as well, big wings on them. Um, but a very feminine, confident hen. You don't like hens that holler and scream a lot. You don't like roosters that peck you and all that. You like them to be a very calm hen. So does that sound correct? That sounds good. Yeah, it sounds correct to me. Okay, so so guys, now y'all got an idea of what Donnie French looks for in his brood foul. Um, what he calls for, what he doesn't call for. We're going to get more into that deeper on. But um, like he say, he's kind of, you know, uh, uh, go against the grain or unconventional, you know, as far as what he looked for in his foul. Um, and again, he just said based on his life experience, you know, confirmation plays a role. But he has just learned from his life experience that there's a lot of pretty looking, well-built roosters that cannot perform. We're talking about back in the day. So that pushed him more towards attitude, mental attitude, some advice he got from Mr. Jumper, um, and uh, ability. You know, those are kind of the things right there that kind of led the determination of what stayed and what left. So, uh, you know, that's what guys really wanted to know. What does Donnie French look for in his brood foul? And I always say... You know, obviously, he's going to be looking for different things as the process, the life cycle go on. But we always like to start out with what he looks for in a brood fowl. So I think he gave y'all guys a very, very good description and some really in-depth information and also not what he looked for, but why he looked for those things when it comes to his brood fowl. So, so Donnie, now as we're moving on um, and we went over, you know, what you pick for the characteristics in your brood fowl, let's talk a little bit about your methods of breeding, you know, do you inbreed, do you line breed, do you breed father to daughter, you know, uh, son to mother, you know, first cuts, you know, what is your methods when it comes to breeding? Because you have maintained a line from, from the 70s all the way to now. You know, what was your methods that you have used to keep those birds just as good as they were way back in the 70s and the 80s? What methods did you use? What? Well, uh, the line that I've had the longest, you know, the Cecil's, I always took the cock and bred him back to his daughters. Mm -hmm. And I always took a son out of the original mating and bred back to the mother. Okay. And then keep going from there. You know, if I bred that cock to his daughter, I would take, I pull it out of that mating and breed back to him again. 
Okay. And vice versa on the other side. Okay. And then after three times of doing that, I would bring them back together. I would gotcha. bring the offspring out of three matings, three three times down the line, say a rooster right. back back to his daughter, then his granddaughter, and then his great-great-granddaughter. And after okay. I got to that point right there, I would bring him back with the other side. I would pick a stag out of that side and I'd pull it out of this side and bring them back together. Gotcha. And that's how gotcha. I've maintained so that line for so long. That's, I got you. So, guys, as you guys can hear, and I'm pretty sure y'all understand, but we'll do a quick recap. So, he does father to daughter, father to granddaughter, well, grandfather to granddaughter, then great-grandfather to great-granddaughter. So, he goes at, he goes down three generations after that breeding, and he does that on a hen side and on a cock side. And then when he get down to those three generations at the bottom, of that pyramid at the bottom of that pyramid he takes those three generations from both sides one from one side one from the other side and he breeds those two together and that's how he has maintained this line for so long so tell me this does, does it make a difference where you get the stag from versus the cock do you take the the stag from the hen side three generations down and breed it to a you know, a hen on a cock side three three generations down, or does it matter what side you got the the, the cock from or the stag I mean, the, the 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 hen from later down the line on them three generations? Does it matter, or have you tried it both it, ways? It, it it really doesn't matter, Jim. But as a um, I'm trying to find the right word here, as a uh, method of making sure that i'm getting what i want i'll take a stag from the father's side and breed to a pullet from the mother's side and breed them together but i'll also take a pullet from the father's side and a stag from the mother's side and breed them together as well gotcha so I'll, I'll actually have two matings after I go after I go down the line three times. Mm -hmm. I'll bring two sets back together. Got you. Bred bred opposite way. Bread opposite. And one side will always be what you know. One side will always be better than the other. Wow. So tell me this now that you say that. Have you have you noticed any consistency on what side will always end up the always end up better or is it just you know no consistency to it just this time it was you know the the the, the stag from this side the puller from this side this in this breeding this one was better the other breeding we did the other side was better or is it well, have you seen a consistency actually jim you know funny you bring that up it, it, it's really you know it just really depends on how good you select your brood fowl Okay. You know, uh, you know, this time it might happen that that the fowl that comes out of those matings, you know, I like out of the cock side better. Mm -hmm. But the next time, three more generations down the line, it might be out of the hen side that I like better. Gotcha. It just it just depends on the fowl that you're putting in the brood pen, which side is gonna throw what you want. 
And right. you have to be real select in your breeding or picking your fowl to make sure you get what you want. You got to pick fowl, you know, that that's what you want. You know, that's what I want in a hen, so I'm going to pick her. You know, you, you have got to, to pick them the way you want them, not mm -hmm. the way anybody else wants them, the way you want them. Right. Right. So selection is, is, is definitely the key, obviously going down all those generations um, yes. because you're doing selection as you go down doing those generations. And, and when you determine on what pullet to bring back to her father or what stag to bring back to his mother, are you using those same guidelines that you use when you put something in a brood pen? Are you playing the same, the same guidelines? The same criteria goes into that as as all the rest of my brood pens. Got you. And so that, you know, being with being with those fowl for so long, you know, and and knowing what they were like back in the eighties, mm -hmm. you know, I can kindly breed toward keeping how they were. You know, uh, how they were when, the, you know, when I first got them. Right. But first and foremost, you know, they got to be what I want. Right. You know, if they're if they're not what I want, then then they don't get bred. Got you. So so, guys, y'all know that. And, and if you didn't catch this, but not only, you know, is he using that criteria to pick the original brood stock that goes into the brood pen but he's using that same criteria as he start to inbreed back to you know uh, uh, son to mother and, and daughter to father he's using that same criteria when he's picking that stag and pull it as he go down three generations that criteria still stands um, also too he go ahead I'm sorry Donnie you know you 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 have to be consistent with it you know, if you're not consistent with it, you know, it's not going to work. What you want is not going to work. You always have to be consistent with it. You know, just, just because, you know, uh, you like a pullet because she comes up to you every day and eats out of your bucket and, and you know, is your buddy and you just really want to breed that pullet, doesn't mean she's a brood pullet or doesn't right. mean she's a brood hen. You know, you have to be consistent with it, and you have to be true to yourself. You always have to be honest with yourself, first and foremost, mm -hmm. to get what you're wanting. Right. So the consistency is the key. So you can't really be judging brood, brood pins based on biases. You have to have that criteria. You have to. So it, it, it seems like one of the biggest things uh that the newcomers or the breeders out there who's trying to create a, their own line is one, like you were saying, you have to know what you're looking for, not what everybody else is looking for. So first you have to set your own standard. You know, what am I looking to get? Does that sound about right? That's the number one thing yes. I guess they need to start off with. Yeah, so, that's the number one thing. The number one thing. And then the other stuff that you're saying is, is how you maintain that. So basically, 
exactly, boom, you got your goal. You know exactly what you're looking for. And then you saying you need to stay consistent on picking breeding material that meets that original goal that you had when you first started, correct? Yeah, yes, that's correct, Jim. You know, three generations down the line, when you bring that stag and that pullet from each side together, mm -hmm. you know, it when you breed them and the fowl that comes out of them, you you can't find a brood cock in it, mm -hmm. or you can't find a, a a pullet in it that you want to breed to. Mm -hmm. Don't just settle. You you can never settle. You know, breed them again the next year. See what happens. You know, you always got to be consistent with what you're breeding, and don't settle just because they didn't produce what you wanted. Don't right. settle for second best and breed the second best. You understand what I'm talking about there? Yeah, yeah I, I totally understand. So basically, when you do that breeding, say you three generations down, you got all of these years tied up into this. You three generations down, and you got a you know four years or five years tied up into it. And you're like, man, you know, I I I did this hatch, everything hatch, and you're basically saying that even though you got four to six years into it, if you don't see anything that came out of this year's breeding that meets that original standard that you set, you're saying don't breed it. Don't don't just go ahead and breed it just to breed it. Just don't breed it. Just repeat it the following year and see if that second breeding um, produced something that meets your original criteria. Correct? That, that, that's correct, Jim. That's correct. Okay. And, 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 and that is something I'm telling you. It might sound common sense, to me, it's not because I see so many people do that saying, well, you know what? They got the genetics. I hear people say that a lot. Oh, they got the genetics. So I'm going to go ahead and do the breeding. But the bird doesn't look like you wanted him to look like that bird doesn't look like the, the bird that that the standards that you set. It doesn't look like that. And I have seen people say, you know what? I'm going to breed it anyway because it has the genetics and not only in game fowl that happens in a whole bunch of other breeders too they do it with dogs and everything else oh it got the genetics but it doesn't look like the ideal bird like it doesn't match your standards so why are you breeding it because it has the genetics you're basically saying you don't care if it has the genetics or not if it does not fit your original standard then don't breed it then don't yeah breed and what, something what else. you're going to end up what you're going to end up with, you know, if you if you do go ahead and breed that second best, you know, he's going to throw a lot more foul or she's going to throw a lot more foul of what you're not looking for. Right. You know, right, right, right. each time you do that, the odds get stacked against you that you're not going to get what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. if you have to back up a generation, you know. Instead of going to the third one, you know, I go, I go three times down the line, right. but you know, if that don't work for you, back up a generation, Right. pick your rooster from the second generation and pull it from your second generation and put them together and see how that turns out. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they will, maybe they will, will, uh, give you what you're looking for. Right. No, Donnie, that's some that right there is some really, really good information. Um, and especially to guys out there who hasn't created their own line. 
You know, this information that Johnny, uh, that Donnie is sharing with us tonight, I mean, this is information that you can pretty much take to the bank because he, he has been, he has done very, very well with this, with this breeding method. And uh, what he's saying makes a lot of sense. So don't fall victim, guys. Don't fall victim to breeding something just because it came out of this cock and this hen. Donnie is saying that he don't care what it came out of. He don't care if it's your favorite hen that eat out your feed bucket and all that kind of stuff. It does not matter. If she does not fit your original standard, don't breed it. And um, so he's basically saying, don't be out there breeding chickens because they got genetics. You know, oh, I know they got the genetics. I'm going to just breed them and see what happened. You know, what Donnie is saying, you can go ahead and breed them and see what happens. But every time you do that, you stack the odds against you. So, you know, I just wanted to reiterate that point because I think that's some key information. And in my opinion, it can save you years and thousands of dollars of raising fowl from what, like Donnie is saying, that second best or maybe even third best. Once you breed the second best, then they probably just produce third best. I don't know. You keep breeding them, you might be 16th best. <laughs> but Well, I mean, each but, time it just. Each time you do that, it just stacks the odds against you that you're not going to get what you want. Mm -hmm. It's what it does. So, right. you know, whether you have to back up a generation and try that, or, you know, you might have to go to the third great-granddaughter. You know, you might have to take it one farther. You know, mm -hmm. it's all trial and error until you get what you want. Until you get what you want. No, Donnie, I greatly appreciate you sharing that because that's that's very very powerful because look i know you have seen it just like i have you have seen guys breed chickens that they shouldn't be breeding but they bred them because they came out of a certain brood pen and they went ahead and bred them anyway you have seen it i'm pretty sure you have seen it. oh you, you know I, i'm guilty of it okay <laughs> you know everybody's guilty of it <laughs> you know uh i'm not gonna sit here and say you know i I know everything about everything and I'm perfect right. all the time. Cause I'm not, you know, right. you know, I'm guilty of it. You know, right. my buddies are guilty of it, you know, knowing they shouldn't be doing it and do it anyway, you yep. know, <laughs> but you know, I'm guilty I, of it the too. life, you know, <laughs> the life of raising chickens, you know, it's just, that, that's it. And sometimes, sometimes you do stupid things. Yeah. Well, you know what? I think it's just wishful thinking. I, I think that that that's that's but you know what that applies to so many other things in life, too. But I think it's the wishful thinking, you know, it we're is, just hoping is. that when we do the breeding that the genetics that we we thinking they have is going to show up and not all the other stuff that we, we don't want to show up. We have all done it. Like you say, we have all done it. But I think over time you realize yeah. that if you smarten up and really pay attention, you realize over time that actually does hurt you more than it helps you because to be honest i can't really ever think if it ever produced better or if it ever produced what i thought it was going to produce it always produced i guess you can say third best like it never really well, worked for me not only that jim but but you're taking your time and your resources away from the ones that you do like you know mm -hmm. that 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 are what you want you know mm -hmm. you're taking your time and and your and your money and things away from the ones that that you know you want, right? And 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 putting them into something that it might hit, it might not, right? You know, right? 
That's exactly right. So, guys, I mean, like I say, I know a lot of y'all guys out there may know that, but Donnie's just being real. Like he say, he has done it also himself. But what he have learned from many, many years of breeding is just don't do it. Just don't do it. If they're not what you're looking for, just don't breed it. Don't breed it just because it came out. You did the breeding. It came out of that brood pen. They possess the genetics that you're looking for. So you'll go ahead and breed it, and they should produce something good. It really hardly ever works. That has just never worked for me. And Donnie's saying it, it has never worked for him as well. Um, so, and I'm just, re hold on one second for me, Don. I'm just looking at some of the comments um, that we have in here. You know, they're talking about being honest mm -hmm. with yourself. Uh, being honest with yourself as a breeder is selection and consistency. Second best is second best, right? You breed second best. You can't expect to get number one if you're breeding second best. So, um, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Leon was saying, uh, when he says be consistent is because we all don't do it all the time and we learn from our mistakes. So when someone asks us for advice, we are hoping they don't do it, but we all know they will. Well, yeah, Leon is basically saying that, you know, you are giving that advice, you know, telling people, Hey, don't, don't breed the second best. Cause you'll get second best. And he's basically saying, you know, as 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 somebody giving advice, we're hoping that they don't make that mistake. But Leon said a lot of times they do. So if they if they choose to do it, then just let them do it. You know what I mean? But Donnie's right. putting the advice out there. And if you choose to follow it, fine. If you choose not to follow it and you do the, the, the wishful thinking deal like we all have done, then it's your birds, it's your time and it's your money. So do whatever you want to do. So. But Donnie, let's go ahead and move on because we talked about. You know, your bloodlines, how you maintain your lines, what you talk, what you look for in your selection process. So let's talk about now breeding aspect as far as hatching and that type of stuff and biddy care and stuff. So first, do you natural hatch or do you incubate or both? I do a little of both, Jim. Mo uh, I, I would say probably 75 to 80 percent of mine is incubator hatched. OK. Uh, the other. 20, 25% will be underneath hens. Okay. And the way I do that is when I do have hens uh, that, that go broody and I can set them, I try to coincide that with setting my eggs in the incubator. I'll always set my hens uh, a day behind the incubator. Okay. And that way it gives, it gives the eggs in the incubator chance you know I, I give them 24 hours you know before i even open the door well at the end of that 24 hour period my hen's hatching okay gotcha. so when i open the door on the incubator and i've got babies in there and I, and i know i've got a hen outside and she's hatching babies right i'll mark some out of my incubator and at night i'll go stick them underneath the hen outside that's hatching and I'll let her take care of them. It takes a little bit of the load off me. Right. Uh, not having to put them in the brooder. Mm. So, and, and I do like chicks that are raised with mothers too. Okay. You know, I just personally, I think they're smarter, mm -hmm. you know, um, it seemed to be a little bit healthier, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that hen from day one is teaching them what to do uh you know what to eat you know she just starts 
starts them out right, you know. Right. And, you know, when, when you take uh, incubator hatch chicks that you put in the rotor, you know, you got to you gotta show them where to eat and where to drink and and you know you're doing all the all the hen work for them right and but but you can never you can never duplicate what a hen does right you know i don't want anybody to get that idea you can never do it you can never duplicate what that hen can do mm-hmm. you know and that's why that's why you know i'll take some of my incubator hatch chicks and i'll set a hen you know to coincide with them hatching at the same time right where i can put some of them chicks underneath that mama and she can take care of them and teach them what to do got you got you so we have a question here um let me post this question on here donnie i don't know if you can see that can you see that question from adrian do you put your hens and chicks on wire Uh, first or and then on the ground or do they go from or you put them straight on the ground. How do you do that? That's what that's what Adrian is asking. If if uh, if my chicks go underneath that mother, that live mother, you know that mother hen, they go straight on the ground. They don't okay. go under wire. Okay. You know if if they come out of the incubator and they're not lucky enough to have a mother and they they go in the brooder, of course they are on wire. Okay. You know. They'll be on. They'll be on wire to, for at least four weeks. You know, I try to get them out of there at four weeks. Sometimes it's five. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I'll introduce them to an outside pen. From that point, but okay. if if they do have a mother to take care of them, they go straight on the ground. Okay, I got you. So so Donnie, tell me this. So now that we're talking about that, you know. Um, we kind of have an idea now, you know, if the ones are, are, are with the hen, she's pretty much doing all the work. So let's talk about the ones that you put in a brooder. You know, the ones that go in a brooder, like, give, can you give us like a, maybe a, 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 some insight on a program that you kind of run or how do you run your brooders with the chicks besides the ones, obviously, that's out there with the hens? All right. Uh, well, you know, they'll, they'll go from the incubator mm-hmm. into what I call, uh, I'll put them in, in little uh tupperware totes okay with with uh shavings in the bottom of them for two or three days mm-hmm. just to make sure that everybody's eating everybody's drinking everybody feels okay mm-hmm. and then a- after that point they'll go into the brooder okay and then they'll stay in the brooder for like i say four weeks mm-hmm. or until they get you know quail size they'll you know right. i like to move them out of there when they get quail size and that's okay. usually that's usually at the point about four weeks. I gotcha. feed uh, I feed a game bird starter. It's twenty eight percent protein. Mm-hmm. It is medicated. Okay. You know it's it's it doesn't have a lot of medication in it. Mm-hmm. I just you know I've never had a problem out of it and and they thrive on it. Okay. You know, uh, one of the biggest things that I've seen. A lot of guys doing, I mean, it, you know, each to their own, mm-hmm. you know, me personally, I don't like a 15 or a 16% protein for the little ones. I just don't think it's enough. Okay. You know, uh, when, when you have the lower protein, I feel, you know, you have, you have more problems with them picking on each other, mm-hmm. 
eating their tails out and things of that nature. And then, you know, years ago, I got switched over to 28% game bird starter. Okay. And all that stopped. All that immediately so lot, stopped. So a lot of the issues that you were seeing with the pecking and all that kind of stuff stopped when you switched over to that, to that higher protein feed. Yes. Yeah. So I'll keep them on that. You know, uh, it's out on my yard. You know, when, when I when I take them out of the brooder at four weeks and introduce them outside to a pen to the ground, right. you know, I leave them locked up in that pen for a week to a week and a half. I leave them locked up in there, and then after that week or week and a half, I'll open the door every morning. I'll open the door, and they can free range every night. After the sun goes down in their own roost, mm -hmm. they get their pen set up every night. You know, I know a lot of guys don't do that, right. but I do. You know, they get locked up every night. And that just, that eliminates a lot of the varmint problems, you know. I right. mean, of course, I've got three dogs, you know. I don't have much of a varmint problem. Mm -hmm. But, you know, still stuff can fly in there, you know. Yep. And it, it just makes me feel better. It makes me sleep better at night knowing they're shut up. That's right. But anyway, no, I, I totally understand that. Mm -hmm. You know, but anyway, uh, after they get started, let, you know, after I let them out of the pen, you know, after that initial week and a half of being out, you know, mm -hmm. everybody's doing good. Right. You know, and you know, then that initial week and week and a half is, you know, them being locked up in the pen that that's to teach them, you know, where home is. Right. And that's for me to keep an eye on them and make sure everybody's feeling okay. Got you. It's hard to keep track of them when they're out running around and you have a sick one or two. You can't put your eyes on him, you know, if they're running in weeds or right. running in fence rows, you know, you don't see them all the time. So that initial week and a half, it's just to make sure everybody's feeling okay. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and teach them where home is. And then I start letting them out on the yard. And then gotcha. I, I got, I got five gallon buckets that I use mm -hmm. that, that about, they got tops to them. I use five gallon buckets with tops. Right. I set them all over the yard. I put that 28% protein feed in them. Mm -hmm. I cut holes. I cut, I'll take a, uh, a, a wood bit. You cut like inch and a half holes all the way around that bucket, mm -hmm. about five inches up on that bucket. Mm -hmm. And that's where their feed is. And it doesn't take them long to figure out if they see a bucket, that's food. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, but with the top on it, you know, I leave, you know, with the top on it, 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 you know, if you'll set these, if you'll set them out and leave that top on it, if it rains, the feed don't get wet. Right. You know, the feed's always dry. Right. And that's free choice to them until, well, they'll pretty much wean themselves off. You know, mm -hmm. I've had a lot of guys say, you know, you're feeding 28% protein feed. Your roosters are going to be seven pounds. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not really true. Mm -hmm. You know, mine, mine get that feed until they're four or five months old. Mm, okay. And, so, so, and most of them, most mm -hmm. of them will wean themselves off of it. I'll, so, uh, go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. No, and what I was going to say, just really quick, 
because that that's a, that's a really really good point because I was going to ask you how long they they uh, uh get that fee but let's just back up a little bit I want to ask you a few questions a few questions because I'm looking at some of the comments do you put anything as far as vitamins or anything like that or all you pretty much give them is just regular water and a 28 percent uh game foul uh game feed they'll, they'll get a little bit of vitamins in their water once or twice okay. a week once or twice you a know, week okay once or twice a week they'll get vitamins other than that it's just the 28 percent feed you know mm -hmm. once they start running out after that initial initial week and a half in a pen you mm -hmm. know they'll be running out and and i take scratch feed and scatter it down fence rows and you know, just just places where the bigger fowl can't get a hold of it, right? And as and as they're running out during the daytime, mm -hmm. and they're in fence rows and things like that, and going about their daily business, you know, right. they'll be picking all that scratch grain up. You know, they'll be eating that scratch grain. They'll be catching bugs. You know, mm -hmm. if they want any more protein, they know where the bucket is. They know where the bucket is. You know, so and. A lot of people, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, say, well, you know, you're going to have seven pound roosters. Well, that's, you know, that's not really true because, you know, your game fails just has a certain set of genetics. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's just going to get so big. Right. You know, I don't care how much you feed him. He's just right. going to get so big. You know, you can't take a horse and feed a horse a hundred pound of feed a day and expect him to grow into a horse that's. 15 foot tall you know what i'm right. saying right you know and the same thing with them you know they're just they're just going to grow to their genetic potential and that's all right. i want them to do is grow to their genetic potential mm -hmm. so so donnie tell me this like you say you put them out there uh uh inside the pen for a week and a half to make sure everybody's feeling good same thing like you said when you put them in a tupperware totes uh, making sure everybody feel good. So that brings me back to the question I was looking at in the comments. Do you do any vaccination? I personally do not do any vaccinations. Okay. All right. Because that, that's a question I, that came up in the comments section. If if you vaccinate. I have, I, I have before, you know, I, I've done vaccinations before, but that's, you know, that's when I had 600 roosters tied out on the string. Uh, you know, right. I'm not that big anymore. You right. know, uh, but everybody knows, you know, the more foul you have, the more problems you have. Exactly. You know, and, and I'm not at that point where uh, that I have a lot of problems. You know, right. I have very, very few problems. Mm -hmm. And most of the time I eliminate the problem real quick. I don't run a hospital here. Got you. Got you. But you don't have many problems anyway. No. No, I don't have many problems at all. Not ever since I switched to that 28% starter and grower, or it's right. actually called game bird feed. It's for, it's actually for, uh, like pheasants and things like that. Right. right. Ever since I switched to that, I've not had any problem. Good. And, and it's, it's funny that you bring up that point. Like you say, the more birds you have, the more problems you have. And, and some guys don't understand that, that, you know, is, is different. And I've been to, I've been to a lot of different places that farms are big and they talked about how the process was the kind of problems that they encountered as they grew. And it used to puzzle them. Like they would get, you know, have a good breeding season and 
hatch a few hundred more than what they usually hatch and they would have a different type of problem. And it, he said it was like almost in denial. Like, what is that? I don't understand what that is. And he said, take the bird to the lab and found out it was something. But the vet was able to tell him, hey, listen, do you have X amount of birds? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, once you get to that many birds, this is the kind of problems you're going to have. And, and that is something I think a lot of people need to understand. When you got 50 birds, you have certain types of problems, which is probably very few. But when you have, you know, 500 birds, you're going to have a different, whole different set of problems. And when you have two and 3,000 birds, you're going to have a different set of problems. So, guys, understand it ain't because you're not doing something. It's just that the bigger you grow, you got to just start doing things different. And you have to may have to start doing extra stuff that you didn't have to do when you will only have 50 birds. Do you, would you agree with that, Donnie? Yeah, I would agree very much with that, Jim. You know, when you have, you know, when you have 500 birds, it's hard, it's hard for you, you know, to check each bird. I mean, I know you're taking care of that bird every day, mm -hmm. but when you have five, 600, it's hard to stop and go, okay, how are you feeling today? You know what I'm saying? Run that scenario through your head. You're feeling all right. You look like you're doing good. Move on to the next one. It's hard to do that when you got five or 600. Right. You know. Yeah, you're trying to catch everything, but I think a lot of the problem that a lot of people have is, is they just miss it. You know, right. it's not that they're not looking for it. Right. It's just that they miss the problem mm -hmm. and it goes out of control from there. You know, mm -hmm. every day you miss a problem is another day that it can give another bird a problem. Mm -hmm. You understand? Right. You know, and if you have 50, you know, or a hundred, you know, you, you got time to, to look at everybody, make sure everybody's doing good. You know, right. Like you say, when you got 2000, it's just almost impossible to do that. Yeah. And, and, and I can tell you, I've been to a lot of big farms and, and they had some extremely, you know, healthy birds, but their programs and their systems is a lot different than somebody who only had 50 birds. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, many guys don't understand that that the bigger you grow, the more problems you're going to encounter and you got to make adjustments to your program. The 50 bird program that you were running is not going to work on 500. You're going to have to, you're going to have to do some things totally, totally different. And you know that because like you said, we had yeah. five, 600 board. It was a lot different than where, what you have now. Um, it's just, it, it's a totally different beast. I call it, you know, I went from having a hundred to having 600. So, right. you know, you're talking about a shock to the system. Right. You know, try that one time. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you'll have problems you'll never thought that you, you would ever have, you know. Mm -hmm. But most of it, like I say, is, is you know, some, you know, these farms that have 2,000 roosters or 2,000 fowl, whatever they might be, uh, they just don't have, they just miss things. And it's not, mm -hmm. it's not intentionally, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like they want to miss things. It's just right. that they're doing so much that sometimes it just slips through the cracks, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't, you know, I've got, I think right now, right now I've got probably 300 birds. Okay. You know, and things slip through the crack on me. Right. You know. 
uh, it's not that you're intentionally wanting, not wanting to deal with the problem. It's just that it slips through the cracks sometimes. Right. No, no. And that's, that's definitely, you know, again, that, that makes all the sense in the world. And, you know, I, I like to convey that message. Um, so, so people understand that that's why it's important that we bring, you know, guests on this show with multiple different farm sizes because people have multiple different experiences, different programs, different tricks and stuff like that, depending on farm size, because there's not going to be no one, two or three people that got all the answers. If you ain't never had a farm with 2000 birds, it's going to be hard for me to believe that you can teach somebody how to, you know, uh, run a farm with 2000 birds and you never had a farm with 2000 birds. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, you know, what may work with the 50? I'm talking about with feed and everything else. What may work with the 50 may not work with the 500. You know, you might deal with a whole different situation there. Um, and I don't think a lot of people out in, in, in this sport understands that. They believe if they well, can take care of 50 birds, they can take care of 2,000. And it's not that easy. Well, you know, uh, like I say, you know, I, I knew Johnny. And uh, Johnny had about 2,500 roosters mm-hmm. at the time that I was going down to Ripley and seeing him at his house and, and things, right. you know. You know, any of these guys out here think, you know, that they can go from, you know, a couple hundred bird operation and tell you how to run a two or 3,000 bird operation is, you know, my advice to them is just go try it, you know. Right. <laughs> there's farms around here. There's farms around here that, that go try it for a day, you know. Right. They would love the help. Right. And, I stayed and at you and I – and mm-hmm. yeah, you'll see, you'll see what they go through on a day-to-day basis. Yep. You know, I'm telling you, I mean, I have stayed at those farms, not for just one day. I've stayed at them for days. And I'm telling you right now, one, I won't ever want a farm, a big farm like that. That's number one. That's the first thing I learned from the first day. Um, but the second thing is, is sitting down and talking with those breeders and, understanding what they thought worked well not uh, understanding you know what was working for them at one phase didn't work at another phase and didn't work at another phase and how they adjusted their programs and how they can prevent different diseases and sicknesses and how they had to start vaccinating and you know all of that it's 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 amazing it's it's really really amazing um, and then that's the reason why I take my hat off to the big farms that's very clean and well organized with healthy fowl. Because once you stay at one and you realize how much work it is, you'd be like, wow, how can this person have 2,000 and they still look healthy? You know what I mean? I'm struggling with 75. Right. So, but, um, you know, keeping that farm clean, you know, uh, a lot of people think, you know, that. A lot of those places, you know, keeping that farm clean is just a personal preference, but uh, keeping that farm clean is going to help keep your fowl healthy, too. Exactly, Donnie. Exactly right. You know, you got a bunch bunch of junk screwing around. You know, you've got water that's getting into this and stagnating and causing mosquitoes. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you got buckets laying around that, 
that you don't need, but they're laying around and, and it rains in them and it, it's the water stays in them for two weeks and then right. mosquitoes hatch out of them. Then you've got all kinds of problems, mm-hmm. you know, that could potentially cause all kinds of problems, you know, right. Uh, but that's why these farms a lot, you know, a lot, you know, they like keeping these farms nice to look at. And, and I like my farm, you know, being nice to look at, but another aspect of it too is it's for the health of the, of the fowl too. Right. Cause the environment plays a huge, huge role. The environment plays a huge role. And, and that's the reason why, you know, I used to, I, I, I would say that and guys are saying, Oh, I know, you know, it's good foul that that I don't need a big fancy farm and this and that. No, it's not even about being big. I mean, you can have small, but it's the difference right. between being fancy and being clean. You know, being right. clean doesn't, you know, guys say, well, I ain't got the money. Well, being clean doesn't take money and being clean is not fancy. But again, a lot of guys will understand that the relative part of being clean is easier to keep your foul healthy in a clean environment because they're not dealing with the issues that you just went over the buckets, the stagnant water and all that kind of stuff from having a farm that got all of this debris. I call it debris all over it. It doesn't mean that the game foul are not game. And, and you know, guys kind of get confused thinking that I'm saying that, you know, there's no good game foul coming from, you know, messy, messy farms. I'm not saying that I'm just saying, you know, your job would be a lot easier if you keep all that debris off the farm. That's all. Yeah. Um, but, Donnie, let, let's go ahead and move on um, because we didn't, we already had an hour and 20 minutes. I bet you didn't realize that. But uh, we had an hour and 20 minutes, but we covered a lot of great, great topics. So what I would like to do now, since we talked about your biddy program, you don't do the vaccination. Uh, you don't do a lot of, uh, you know, vitamins and stuff like that. Vitamins in the water once or twice a week. Um you know, the ones that come out the incubator that's not able to go up under a hen um, goes inside the brooder. You know, um, the ones that go on a hen up under the hen, they go straight to the ground. Um, the ones that come out the brooder pretty much go in a, in, in a brood pen or you can call it a bitty pen outside. You keep them in there for about a week and a half to make sure everybody's looking good and feeling good. And so they can know where home is at. And then you start to allow them to free range during the day. You make sure you lock them up at night to eliminate any possible issues and also to give you a peace of mind. Um, and then so that's pretty much what we got there. So let's talk about now, um, you know, now the biddies and stuff are, are quail size are bigger. Now they're starting to get big. You know, you already made it clear that you don't run a no hospital uh, on a farm which a lot of people don't, and I don't think nobody should be running a hospital. If you run, have to run a hospital, then something's wrong with your program. Um, but let's talk about the things that you do call for. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, confirmation things, attitude things, sicknesses, which I know you already said sicknesses, but, you know, what are some of the things that you do call for? Well, my wife probably hates me for this point, but I'm, I'm real hard on chickens. I mean, I'm hard on them. You know, if, you know, I call for any defect mm-hmm. at all, you know, uh, if his tail's crooked, you know, if, mm-hmm. if he's 
too short-legged, you know, even if he just don't look right to me, right. you know, they'll get cold. You know, my wife, you know, like I say, my wife don't like that point about me, but right. Mr. Neal, Mr. Neal, George Neal was probably one of the toughest on, on foul that I'd ever seen, mm -hmm. you know, uh, he get, Mr. Neal would get a bad report, you know, back on chickens, you know, years ago when it was legal and he'd go through and he'd kill the whole farm. Wow. Just off of a report, you know, but me, you know, any defects that I see in them, I won't keep them, you know, mm -hmm. to me, you can feed a good one. That's perfect for you. As, as just as good as you can feed one with a defect. Right. You know, and, and it, it, it's, it's, it might be something as little as I just don't like the look of him. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't, doesn't mean he have to have, he has to have any physical characteristic wrong with him for me not to right. like him. Right. You know, uh, if I just, if, if if for any reason at all, I just don't like the rooster, whether his mental attitude or whatnot, you know, I hate a mean rooster. That is one thing that I cannot stand. I cannot stand, you know, when I was young, I, I would put up with that. You right. Know? Uh, I, I just thought, you know, that's part of it, you know. Right. But, you know, the as I went along in the years, you know, uh, I seen that those type of roosters, most of them, I'm not going to say all of them, mm -hmm. most of them wouldn't perform as well mm -hmm. as the others. Right. So, you know, from that point on, I just, I will not put up with a mean rooster. That is yeah. one of my pet peeves. I just cannot stand it. He will be gone quick. Mm -hmm. You know, Anything I don't like about one, you know, right. like I say, uh, you can feed, you can feed a good rooster or a hen the same as you can feed one that you've got a problem with. Right. Now it doesn't matter how you dispose of them, you know, dispose of them how you will. You know, I've gave some away, you know, I've, I've disposed in others, others way, you know, other ways. Right. Right. But anything that I don't like usually uh, gets cold. Just get cold. Yeah. So, so again, guys, that, that is, you know, he, he's talking about definitely a mental attitude, um, but also he looks for defects and confirmation and stuff like that along, um, you know, doing his culling process. And, and, and so basically, you know, you spend a lot of time observing your foul to kind of determine, you know, what you're going to call him, what you're not going to call. And sometimes you just said that he doesn't even have to have a defect. You can just not like the way he looks or acts. Uh, it could be a yes, reason. Yes, that's true. Call you know, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I'm liable to, to feed a rooster for three months, you know, after he gets uh, in a pen or, or on a string, I'm liable to right. feed him. I'm liable to feed him for three months and, and, and go, nope, don't like him. And he's gone. Right. You know. Right. Uh, but after my mind's made up, you know, 
he's they done. leave. Right. He's done. So let's talk about this. Let's move to the next topic um, that, you know, I like to talk about. So as far as yard setup, do you like pins, tie cords, you know, what is your what is your preference? Barrels, TPs, you know, what is your preference as far as uh, yard setup and why? Uh, well, on the uh, on my young fowl, you know, on on stags, uh, when they when they get old enough to be caught up off the yard, they'll go to a three by three or a four by four pin. Okay, I call them. You know, most a lot of people call them stag pins. Some people call them hardening pins. Uh, they'll go to that pen until, you know, their spur gets big enough to be put on a cord. You right. know, their spur gets big enough and set to be put on a cord. Uh, I used to tape them around the leg where I could just catch them up, put them, put them in a pen for a few days, and then I'd put tape around their leg so that cord would not slip down over that spur and I could go on and put them out on the string. I used to do that. I used okay. to do that. Okay. But I, I found out that as I've done that through the years, some stags will hurt their legs and it will affect them later on in their life. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll, they'll pull a ligament, you know, they'll strain their leg. And it right. takes them a long time to get over that. Right. So, so I just basically keep them in their stag pens mm -hmm. or hardening pen, whatever you want to call it, you know, until they're big enough, mature enough, their spurs big enough and set that I can put them out on, on the cord. On the cord. Yeah. And then they so, go, so they go to cords and, okay. you know, I have, I have barrels okay. uh, that they stay in. Uh, I use a six foot cord. Okay. So, you know, that gives them a 12 foot by 12 foot reach. Gotcha. You know, that, I, I feel like that's big enough for any rooster. You know, I know gotcha. a lot of guys run seven foot cords, eight foot cords. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I use nylon cords myself. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't use the, the rubber cords because I just have, too many problems with them. Mm -hmm. uh, lost too many roosters with them. So okay. I just don't use them. I always use nylon cord. And they go to the barrels, okay. you know, after they get out of the stag pens, they'll go to the barrel. Right. So tell me this, Donnie, and, and before we move on to the next topic, what is your feed like, your yard feed? We talked about your feed for the, for the chicks, but what is your yard feed? Like, and do you use the same yard feed throughout the whole entire year? I do use the same yard feed throughout the whole entire year, with the exception of, you know, when it starts getting cold weather, I will add a little bit more corn in it. Okay. Cold corn. Okay. Uh, do you use a premix feed? I mix my own feed. My, okay. my feed is, I use a six grain scratch, which, which mm -hmm. has got... Uh, cracked corn, Canadian peas, wheat, milo, uh, sunflower seed, 
and there's something else in there i can't remember what it was anyway it's a six grain scratch and i'll, I'll mix that with a 20 percent pellet and throw some whole corn and i'll up the protein value of that feed with rabbit pellets okay with rabbit i pellets. use a I, I try to maintain a 14 and a half percent protein on the yard throughout the whole year throughout the whole year gotcha. now, like i say in the winter time i'll add a little bit more whole, whole corn right. to the to the mix you know to keep them warmer uh another point you know that that i do that you know maybe some people don't do is i always feed late in the afternoon you know okay when and, you say late in the afternoon what you talking about like maybe four o'clock five o'clock or I, I try to make it to where it's about an hour and a half before dark okay and the re reason for that being is is in the summertime you know when the rooster gets feed in them it, it generates heat mm -hmm. and in the summertime when it's 90 degrees outside and you go feed him at 12 o'clock during the daytime, you're putting heat into him, mm -hmm. you know? So I try to do that late in the afternoon, you know, hour and a half, like I say, hour and a half, maybe two hours before dark, you know, where he can get right. feed cleaned up, you right. know, and, and keep that heat out of his body during the daytime when it's so hot, but gotcha. vice versa, vice versa in the wintertime, I also mm -hmm. do that for the simple reason that it's putting that heat into his body for the coldest part of the night. Right. Makes right. It, lets him get through the night easier that way than if you fed him at 12 o'clock that day. And by eight o'clock that night, you know, he's used up a lot of it. Right. You know, if I feed him late in the afternoon in the coldest part of the night, he's got, mm -hmm. he's got feed in his body generating heat for him. That's right. He got them gizzards in there working, and it's like you say, his metabolism, everything is working. So yeah, it's, it's generating some heat in the colder part of the coldest part of the day, which is typically the night when the sun go down. Which that makes a lot of sense. Uh, um, that that makes a lot of sense too, as well. Like you say, you don't want him to have a a, a, a crawl fill of feed throughout the whole day during the summer when it's ninety degrees outside, and um, during the winter. You know, you want them to also uh, have some feed in them at night because that's going to be the coldest part of the day. So, guys, y'all understand not only what he's doing, but why he's doing it. You know, it's a method. It's a reasoning behind why he feed at particular times of the day. And he said it's about one or two hours before dark, which that pretty much changes throughout the throughout the year. So it's not a set time. Only thing that's set is he like to do it. An hour and a half to two hours before it's dark. So obviously in wintertime, it's going to be a little different than it is in the summertime since it stays, you know, light longer. Um, so we talked about that. So kind of the last thing, Donnie, I mean, it seems like, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but we, we've been on here an hour and 40 minutes. But we pretty that much covered. like 10 minutes, Jim. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> even with all of the uh, even with all of the technical difficulties we had, guys, like I say, we have kept at least 100 people on his live stream the whole entire time, which I think is awesome. It's been a, at least 100 people consecutively watching the live stream the whole entire time, which I think is great. Um, 
And guys, if you just chimed in or if you chimed in through the middle, you know, I recommend once we're once the interview is done, take the time, you know, go back and watch. If you don't watch it tonight, tomorrow or Saturday, if you're off, get up, watch the interview from the beginning to the end. Please, you know, ignore the fact that we had a little technical difficulties at the beginning and still some now because Donnie's been frozen in this picture like a mannequin for the last hour and 40 minutes. But <laughs> well, that, that's how I always look, Jim. <laughs> so, but like I say, the information is almost like a podcast, but the information you know, we talked about your bloodline, how you maintain your bloodline, how you pick your brood stock, what breeding methods you use, you know, how do you call, you know, how you uh, do your chicks, you know, how you run your incubator, you know, your brooder, um, all of that stuff. I mean, we cover some great, great topics tonight, you know, your yard setup, what you use, you know, barrels, tie cords, pins, um, your feed that you feed, not only to the chicks, but your yard feed. Um, then, you know, we talked about tie cords, pins, brood pins. The only thing that we're left pretty much to talk about or to share, um, because like I say, it's been an awesome interview. Um, some guy, Levi, Levi's is keep asking this question. Let me put it up here. One no, question don't, is, don't, don't, don't pay no attention to Levi. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to say he's really he's really adamant about that. I'm about to say I'm like man, I gotta ask this question. This man had posted his question about seven times. <laughs> okay, put it on so there, this, Jim. What is it? Okay, hold on, let me get it right now. Uh, so Donnie, uh, okay, no, 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 that's not it. All right, here it is, right here. So one question, he said, "What is your favorite?" Okay, one question. What's his favorite rooster is his mentor. I don't know. What's your favorite rooster? Because that's what he, I think that's what he means, because that that is uh, what he has asked uh, numerous times. But what is your favorite rooster? What is my favorite rooster? Uh, I'd probably have to say, Jim, you know, it, it's probably a toss up. I've got I've got a line of Kelso's from from Mr. Neal. Okay. You know, that, that he, uh, you know, it was the last fowl he ever raised before he passed away, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's not, it's not that, you know, it, it's just that he meant so much to me, you know, right. that I like those chickens, you know, and, That's and they, they, right. you know, they, they are what, you know, what I look for and things like that. But I also have a, I also have a, a radio line that a buddy of mine gave me and two or three particular roosters in that line. Mm-hmm. I, I really like, I really right. like them. You know, they just, you know, they, they're what I, what I look for in, in just about everything. Got you. So, so tell me this, uh, we have another question in here. Um, Dakota said, uh, uh, to ask you about, and I'll post that on here as well. Let me show. So Dakota Ford said, uh, ask Donnie about off-colored roosters. What's your thoughts on <laughs> off-colored roosters? <laughs> uh, I'm going to kill both of them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know you, personally. I know you, 
personally, everybody around here that knows me uh, knows I don't like off-colored fowl. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I do have, I will have to say, the only off-colored fowl that I ever had, ever owned, I do have a family of Eslin red quills. Okay. <laughs> and And back in the day, I had those, I uh, had that family of fowl for one reason and one reason only, you know, back in the day when it was legal, right? they could cut better than any fowl that I ever laid my eyes on. Wow. Yeah. And they would wow. put that into other chickens too. Wow. They would put that into, when you crossed them, they would put that trade into other fowl too. And that's why I have them. But other than that, I don't like off-colored fowl. It's just not my thing. Right. You know, everybody has their own preference. You know, I don't like white roosters. Right. You know, Bratcher's probably going to kill me, but I don't like black roosters. But I'm, (laughs) you know, his, you know, Bratcher's roosters are starting to warm up to me a little bit. (laughs) You know, Uh, I don't like blues, you know. I just, I right. don't like off-colored fowl. You know, that's just right. me, you know. Uh, and not to say there ain't some good families of, of off-colored fowl out there. There's just oh, not a is. whole lot of them, you know. Right. Uh, to me, there's just not a whole lot of good off-colored families out there. It's they're, What I'm trying to say, Jim, is they're hard, real hard to find. Yeah, well, you know, you know, another thing about that too, Donnie, and I and I can say I, I have to say I agree, and and I've had put a lot of thought into it. But you know, one of the things, and I don't know if this is the reason or not, but they don't breed as many off-color uh, fowl as they do the other fowl, and I and I think that could well, be one reason. And, and well, let me give there's example. a reason for that. <laughs> I, I was making a joke about it, you know, but, you know, there is a reason that they don't breed a lot of off-colored fowl. You know, I'll throw it back at them. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, no, you're exactly right, but, no, it's a lot of guys out there, and that's even in Puerto Rico. They're not uh, – they don't like a lot of off-colored fowl as well. They, they really don't. Um, yeah. But – you know, since they don't like a lot of off-color fowl, a lot of people don't breed a lot of off-color fowl. It's the same thing in the Philippines with the doms right. or the domes. We call them bully goats in Puerto Rico. Bullet, yeah. It's the same thing there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they it's love the they love there. they love doms over in the Philippines. Now they know. do, but they didn't. Yeah. You know, they didn't. Yeah. They they did not touch them things at all. They didn't want anything to do with them. And then I think Jinjin, right. Jinjin has an excellent line of uh of them doms there. And I tell you what, uh, they def- definitely well uh sought after now. And now, again, now he's got everybody scrambling for him, don't he? Scrambling for him. Jinjin got everybody scrambling for them doms. But you know, again, it yep. goes back to, you know, I tell guys this, and it's just my personal opinion. And it's like you said, you do things your way. It might be against the grain or unconventional, but it has worked for you. You know, I tell guys every famous cross out there started out as an experiment nobody knew that what the results was going to be of that first cross regardless of if it was 55 years ago when they first when somebody first tried it if it was 75 years ago when somebody first tried it 
Nobody knew what the outcome of that cross was and whoever did the cross until it was done. And typically stuff don't become trends until somebody famous wins with it. When somebody famous wins with it, then it becomes a trend. But I always tell guys that, hey, you actually could have tried that before that guy tried it, but you didn't want to try it because it wasn't traditional. So you just stuck to what everybody else is doing. And that's what you were saying earlier. Do what you want well, to do. A lot of people get hung up on the fact of names, you know, uh, lines of foul. They, they get hung up. They get, it's almost like, you know, muscle memory. They get stuck into what they're doing. You know, uh, take for instance, Walter Kelso, you know, he went to pits to buy his brood, you know, to buy his broodcocks, you know, from the stories, you know, that I hear, you know, every good cock that Mr. Kelso, you know, seen at a pit, he'd want to buy it to infuse into his blood. Well, if you do that so many times, how many different bloods is in these roosters? You know what I'm saying? How many, how many different kind of bloods? Is in Mr. Kelso's foul. Right. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You know, that's just, uh, you know, like back in the day, people would get, get hung up on uh, pointing roosters. You know. Yes. Go, oh, so got talk a, point, a little got bit a point. about that. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. We, we'll, I guess we'll close the show out of that because my last question was going to be um, how important is the all-year care. You know, we talked about that, you know, when I was explaining to you why we came up with the concept of the 362 and didn't mm-hmm. say it was 365 and guys ragged on me about it. Oh, you got to take care of your birds 365 days, not 362. But I explained to them, hey, if the first 362 is not right, the last three don't matter. But at the end of the day, 99% of the sport occurs during the 362, not the last three. So when I talked to you about that, you had your own, um, you know, perspective on it. So share that. So we can close. We're going to close the interview out with that. So so share, share what your thoughts on that, uh, uh, Donnie. Okay. Um, well, you know, if you don't take care of your fowl, you know, all year long, you know, uh, back in the day, you know, when it was legal, especially in the off season, if you didn't take care of your fowl, you know. They wasn't going to do much for you, you know, come show day. Right. You know, them roosters, have, you know, they don't know what day it is. They don't know it's Sunday. They don't know it's your birthday. They don't know it's Thanksgiving. They don't know it's Christmas. They don't know it's your wife's birthday. They don't know it's your anniversary. You know, you got to take care of those fowl every day if you want them to repay you. Or, you know, if, if you want them to be anything, you have got to take care of them. Right. You know, uh, and, I, and I guess, you know, the point I'm trying to get across is, you know, I well, back in the day when it was legal, when you could go show foul, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I seen all these guys getting getting hung up on pointing roosters. You know, everybody that come, you know, walked in the door, you know, that's all you heard. Point, 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 point. You know, we got to cut his feet here. We got to do this. We got to do that. You know, personally, I hate the word. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I know it goes against the grain, but you know, you do your, you do you, I'm going to do me. You know, I hurt, I hate the word point, you know, uh, they, they say point is a chemical release in the bloodstream an adrenaline dump more or less, you know, and, and if the rooster's not on point, you know, he's not going to be any good, you know, well, you know, to me, what taught me to go a different way about this was, you know, I was making some trips to Louisiana when it was still legal and showing down there. And, uh, I had a couple of days, you know, to kill before the show down there. And we went and watched some pastiza fights, you know, those Spanish fell, you know, and, uh, those guys that fight pastiza foul don't, when you say point, they, they have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't do it that way. Right. They just get their rooster in really, really good shape. Right. And I tell you, when I watched those little pastiza roosters, they had a 10 minute time limit on them. And at the end of that 10 minutes, they were hitting just as hard as they did when they started. Exactly and, right. And, and that really opened my eyes, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day when it was still legal. Mm-hmm. That really opened my eyes as to how important point was. Right. You know, you know, personally, to me, it's not really all that important. Important. You know, back in the day, I tried to get my roosters, you know, in good health. Mm-hmm. Get them in real good shape. And guys, just because a rooster isn't on point doesn't mean he's not going to have that adrenaline dump. Mm -hmm. You're going to have the same adrenaline dump as the rooster that's on point. Right. You know, now after that rooster that's on point gets through with that adrenaline dump, how long does that last? How long does that adrenaline dump last? Right. You know, if he don't, if he don't take care of his business mm-hmm. while he's on that adrenaline dump, he's done. And the cock that's in really, really good shape physically is going to take over. But that's not to mention that he's still got to deal with that cock because that cock is in good shape. Plus, he's having that adrenaline dump. Right. It ain't. It ain't. You ain't got to be on point to have that adrenaline dump. You know, that's where a lot of people get get messed up right there. You do not have to be on point. That rooster does not have to be on point to have that adrenaline dump. Right. You know, the only thing that that means is, is that maybe that rooster that's on point gets a little bit more of the adrenaline than you do. Or a little bit faster. He gets it a little bit faster than you do. Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't get it. Right. And I've seen so many guys get caught up on the fact of wanting a rooster on point that, you know, if if 10 guys tried to put roosters on point, one of them would be lucky to have them there. You know, <laughs> you gonna get I've seen, I've seen, 
I've seen, you know, I've seen 50 entries at a place before and didn't see a rooster that I liked. Wasn't nobody on point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how elusive is that? Right. You know, or, you know, back in the day, guys, you know, were betting their whole thing on them roosters being on point. And 99 times out of 100, they couldn't get them there. Exactly. So, you know, back in the day, I just went about things differently. Right. I just got my roosters in really good shape, the Mm -hmm. best possible peak shape that I could get them, you know, because they were fighting for their life. Mm -hmm. I got them in the best shape that I could and let the cards fall where they may. That's it. You know, and I think back in the day, my results spoke spoke for themselves. Mm-hmm. And 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 Donnie, I'm I'm so, you know, I, I I'm glad you brought that point up, and uh, and you're not just it's just not a reply to a question, but you actually then explain from way back in the day how you came up with this feeling and this perspective on pointing. You know, guys been watching my videos for years, and I've been saying that for years. And again, guys just thought I didn't understand because I didn't grow up, you know, in the 70s and 80s and 90s in American game foul. So I knew nothing about pointing. I couldn't understand a concept. But like I used to always tell them that with everything that I have seen, I see very few birds that's on point. Um, and, and it's sad because some people bank their whole success on getting that bird on point. And if he's not on what they consider point, then they don't have a chance. Well, like you say, in Pautista is totally different. We bank, well, Jim, our- mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, pointing is such a fickle thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen, I've literally back in the day have seen roosters be healed up, standing there waiting on the the prior fight to leave the main pit for them to go in for it to be their time to dance. Right. And I have literally seen roosters get themselves so worked up that they'll have that adrenaline dump right outside the pit, you know. And then where does that leave you? Right. It, le- it leaves you with a wore out rooster because anybody yep. that's, anybody that's, you know, had adrenaline run through their body, you know, what happens after that adrenaline runs through your body? You're you wore flat. out. Yep. You, you know, out. and I've seen guys, I've seen guys standing there going, man, that rooster, he is on. He's snapping that head. He's popping that head. He's right there where he needs to be. And, he, he has that dump outside the pit and wastes it right. because he got himself so worked up that he had that adrenaline dump outside the pit. And then when he got inside the pit, of course, you know, the outcome of that, it was over, you know, <laughs> it was over. And then the guys would be like, Oh, that was, that rooster was the worst liar I ever seen in my life. <laughs> no, the rooster didn't lie to you. Right. The rooster where he was where he needed to be. He just it did you know 
that's why I say pointing is such a fickle thing. You know, it could be there one minute and gone the next. That's exactly right. But, and I just. But everybody gets hung up on it. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to look outside the box. Right. You know. Right. Nobody wants to look outside the box and, you know, everybody get hung up on this pointing thing. And, and you know, the birds are not in, in, in great shape, you know, because they say, hey, I got the pointing method from the man that ate nachos at the Bayou Club and he won 75,000 derbies and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, my biggest thing is if you want to bet on anything, bet to make sure that bird is in the best possible shape he can be in. That's the best chance you have. But if you banking everything on pointing, so be it. You know, again, it's your chickens, it's your time, and it's your money. But uh, you know, I can tell you, a lot of guys are delusional. Um, oh yeah. A lot back of in the are- day, back in the day, I, I, I just you know, if that's what you're banking on, I smiled. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, that was hey, you know, chances you chances of you getting there, you right. know, being right exact. Mm, they're slim to none, buddy. You know, you know, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it, you know, and everybody would be doing it consistently. You know, that's why I say it's such Mm -hmm. a fickle thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, back in the day, I just, I was not going to risk my roosters over one thing that I might hit or I might not. Yep, exactly. So, but Donnie, I think you definitely, you know, you, you explain it the best because, uh, and actually you're, you're, you're probably the only person ever came on the show and just talked about that, but it's something I've been preaching for years. And, uh, now that you have lived it, you're not just preaching it, but you actually lived it and you know, the difference It's very, very fickle It's very, to me is too sensitive and I know it's sensitive because you can see somebody that's been in it 30, 40 years and they still missing the mark. So for yeah. somebody been doing something for 30, 40 years and they don't get it right sometimes, that must mean it's very, very sensitive. So well, there's just there's just so many there's a, there's just so many variables that you got to get right. You know. Yep. You got to get the feed right. You got to get the roosters right. You got to get the, oh, you know, what are you going to do about the weather? Right. You know, right. exactly. is the weather always going to work for you? You know, you better know what to do, you know, when it rains. You better know what, yep. what you know, what to do when it's hot. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so many variables in it. Right. That, you know, it's just not worth it to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, listen, That's just Donnie, how I feel about been- it, but. No, I know. I know. I mean, we have talked about it. I I completely know. And I I hope uh, many of the people, you know, watching can revert back on history and uh, think about back in the day. Were they relying on pointing too much back in the day when it was legal? Should they not have been relying on pointing that much back in the day? Um, Just to do some self-evaluation. You know, and guys right. that live in other parts of the parts of the world where it still is legal, you know, maybe they can yeah. watch this interview yeah. and think about, you know, are, what are they putting too much weight in the in the pointing aspect of it? You know what I mean? Maybe they should be taking that time and effort and putting it in the other part of the keep. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. all up to the individual. But but again, 
you know, uh, like you say, you got to keep a very, very open mind about it. You got to think outside the box. You got to do what works for you, regardless of what everybody else is doing on every aspect of your program. The feeding, the breeding, every aspect of the program. You got to do what works for you. Um, that's what it really comes down to. Um, and there's no one person with all the answers. And, and like you say, you know that from experience. You deal with different problems with different amounts of birds. The more birds you have, more problems you have. You know, the more birds you have, you deal with things that you would have never have to deal with when you only had 50, 60, 70 birds. So, you know, again, guys, one of the lessons to take from this, you know, with Donnie, he has had a big farm, you know, can compare to what he has now. He has, like you say, 600 on a quarter, stuff like that. And that's big. That's a lot. Um, but he sees the problems that he had then versus the problems he have now. So, you know, it's uh, it's just something to take away. You know, take this information, really pay attention to it, take notes about it, and see if you can apply some of the stuff that Donnie shared with us tonight and apply it to your program. Or maybe he just said something that clicked that light bulb in your head and gave you a different thought or, or, or maybe a, a different idea to approach something a little different with your program. But, you know, again, he can't stress enough how important it is to take care of your birds all year long and uh, breed with consistency. Don't breed second best don't be uh you know don't be hesitant to just do the breeding all over again if you didn't get uh what you wanted on, on that breeding or even go back a generation so i mean just listen to his interview you have a really good idea why he's been successful because he's very limbo he's flexible he makes adjustments he's not stuck in a rut on tradition or i've been doing it like this because i've been doing it like this and my daddy been doing it like this so you know let me uh, let me let me say one other thing jim yeah mm -hmm. if you if you will you know i'm always open to new things mm -hmm. always and it doesn't matter who's having the conversation you know it could be a 20 year old guy it could be a 30 year old guy it could be a guy my age it doesn't matter if somebody has something to say, right? Listen to them. Right. It doesn't mean you know. It doesn't mean you got to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean you got to have an opinion on what they say, right? But always listen and have an open mind. Mm -hmm. And some of the things, some of the things you'll, you know, you'll immediately discard. Some of the things you'll think about, and some maybe if you're lucky, some of the things you'll implement right and it'll help you out right and you know and, and too like i say you know i'm on facebook you know if anybody wants to have you know just just wants to talk about game foul you know i have people call me all the time right. if anybody wants to talk about game foul i'm always open to to talking about them too so mm -hmm. so guys there it is Donnie French came on tonight, man. He dropped a lot of jewels. I think he has a, a, a different perspective on his sport. Um, it goes back to why it's so effective to have different people coming on to the show, sharing different perspectives, giving all of this unfiltered information you would not get 20 years ago. Um, actually, you probably wouldn't even got it five years. Actually, you probably wouldn't even got it before Journey to the Pit. But again, uh, I'm not going to say that, but uh, he has came tonight shared a lot a lot of great information i believe 
that we all can learn something from the information that he talked about tonight. Um, if you don't learn anything, one thing you will learn is that he's one of the reasons he's successful because he keeps a very open mind and he's very flexible um, and he's honest with himself. And I think that's probably what has gotten to where he's at or, you know, where he is today as far as a breeder. Um, so, again, guys, if you chimed in late, it's definitely worth the watch. Uh, Donnie, we've been on here over two hours. Uh, I know it don't seem that long, but we've been on this interview over two hours. So it's another, another great interview, guys. Again, share the interview. If you're watching this from YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button and that bell notification. If you're watching this on Facebook, make sure you hit that like on the Journey to the Pit Facebook page. Guys, share the information. Let us know what you think. Post in the comments your questions. Uh, Donnie, over the next couple of days or the next week when he get time, he'll come in the comments section and reply because we could not get to those questions questions because again two hours and we didn't really address any questions so he'll try to get to those questions later on um but again guys i hope y'all enjoyed tonight donnie i can't thank you enough for coming on sharing this unfiltered information which you did not have to do um it's not oh you're welcome jim yeah man it, it was great i was excited about it i want to thank cecil as well for making this thing happen uh cecil put down in kentucky strong yeah kentucky definitely is strong but uh but yeah uh, Jose, if you just got off of work, you need to go ahead and chime in. We closing out this show tonight. I thank all y'all guys for watching. Thank y'all guys for the support. Remember, guys, we still have some hats left. We got the Journey to the Pit hat, black on black. We still have the black on charcoal. And we also have the gray on black. So, guys, the hats are still available. Message me if you're interested in them. Uh, we can get them things shipped out tomorrow. Donnie. Thank you once again. We'll definitely have you back on the show uh, because I know it's going to be a lot, of, it's a lot of unanswered questions in the comments section. So we'll bring you back on the show to answer those questions. So have a good evening. Sounds good All to me. I appreciate y'all guys chiming in. Thank y'all guys for the support. Thank you, Donnie, for coming on. Y'all all stay focused, stay positive, and stay blessed, and have a good evening. Good night.